The Book Nook on WYSO is presented by the Greene County Public Library, with additional support from Clark County Public Library, Dayton Metro Library, Tip City Public Library, Washington Centerville Public Library, and Wright Memorial Public Library. Good morning. Welcome to the Book Nook on WYSO. I'm Vic McCunis. It's my pleasure to be joined on the telephone by James Lee Burke out in Montana. Hello, Jim. Well, good morning. Great to be on your show again. Jim, you've been on my show more than anybody, and you're always welcome to return. Well, thanks a million. You've got a new collection, a new story collection out. It's called Harbor Lights. And I've been waiting for this. I put it on my calendar because the last time we talked, you had all this stuff coming out. I know you have another book coming out in June. Tell me about Harbor Lights. Are, are well, these recent yeah, stories? A, uh, my third collection of short stories, but my best stories, I think, are in this one. And I think it's, of course, I have a bias, but I think it's pretty good. It. it applies to the era in which I have lived and you have lived and the 20th century and which is the most violent century in human history we, we we're not quite aware of that and I consequently I'm afraid we're about to step in it again yeah. hmm yeah the the very first story the uh, title story harbor lights uh, it starts off Immediately, we know there's been some violence. Yeah, well, that was that occurred. You know, these, that story, for the person who hasn't read it, uh, takes place in the early uh, months of World War II when there were U-boats out in the Gulf of Mexico, and they uh, sunk, I don't know how many, oil tankers. The oil tankers were filling up at the refinery in Baton Rouge, right on the Mississippi, and then going out uh, unescorted into the Gulf. And people could see the uh, lights burning there on the horizon. But there was no uh, revelation of that because the government feared panic. And you know who broke the story on that? It was Lester Hemingway. Oh, Uh uh-huh. Yeah. And this story is another story featuring uh, the Broussards. Uh, tell us about yeah. the Broussards and, and this whole Holland uh, family story legacy thing that's going on with you. That's correct. It's uh, The narrator is uh, Aaron Holland, and he's one of my old favorite protagonists in... Um, and they, I usually call them the, the Texas stories. Most of the stories narrated by Aaron uh, are set in Texas. My my fam my it's, it's based on my family, uh, the Holland family. My uh, grandmother, Alifair Holland, uh, was uh, the matriarch of the family. I see the Cleet book is. I looked it up on Amazon, and it says that it's a Dave Robichaux book, so Dave's going to be in that with Cleet. Yeah, it's a, uh, he, you know, Cleet is the other side of Dave, and 
uh, Cleet speaks for Dave <laughs> because each has the or different perception of the other. Uh-huh. One is incomplete without the other, but they're both in there this time. And so they're, uh, you know, the darndest thing is that they're, let's see how many uh, Dave Robichaux books or Robichaux books, I think 23, and there were two films made, and there are only two books that from which uh, Cleet is absent, and those were chosen to go on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> and neither film did very well. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. How does that happen? <laughs> because for many people, the most interesting character in the series is Cleet. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. And, and and who would be the actor to depict that junkyard falling down a staircase? That would be what we'd want to see. <laughs> That's it. It's Cleet. <laughs> Steel wrecking ball swinging through, through the French Quarter. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the Cleet book will be out in June, and that's number 24 in the Robo Shows. And then you've got a, a number 25 that you're just now finishing. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's, You got it. Okay. Well, let's get back into Harbor Lights. And, and I don't want to talk about all these stories, but I want to talk about some of them. And you have a couple in here that are really long near the end. In, uh-huh. in, in fact, that last story is almost novella length. It's about 100 pages. Yeah, that's I, right. I want to talk about A Distant War. Because this one, man, now, now this, uh, this guy, Francis, have we met him before? No, he's, he's a new character in the Holland Tales. Yeah, I never met him, and he's something else. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, it's, in some ways, it's, uh, it's linked with uh, another kind of Eden which is set in the early 1960s. Mm-hmm. And it was an era, a, a, we stepped through history, right through a door that we're, we haven't acknowledged. And no one talks today about the events that occurred in that decade. And many of them, uh, or I'm afraid of bellwether, and one of which was the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about it at all. And the and this the Earth came two hours from incinerating itself. John Kennedy said that. Mm-hmm. And forgot it. He said this. It was about three weeks after the uh, avoidance of the of a war with Russia. He said. Had we gone forward, that in the first, no, it was three weeks, he said, in the first three weeks, 180 million Americans would have died. Mm. And that was just getting started. He said, then uh, victory would have been ashes in our mouths. Mm. I've never heard anybody repeat that statement. He said it, he announced that over the entire world. Hmm. 
uh, I say two hours. It was two hours. The uh, I had a friend, a Navy corpsman, uh, who had the. He said they were right offshore and they'd already dropped their landing nets, and these LSTs were circling to go into the sandbars. And he said, and then they uh, they pulled the plug. But it was just two hours from an actual invasion, which would have started the war, the, an atomic war. They were getting ready to invade Cuba? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. And nobody yeah. talks about it now? Hmm. Nothing. Well, not a thing, but well, it's, it's sitting right. You see, it. nothing has changed since that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is why what is occurring today in Ukraine is so serious. And again, it's been all politicized. It's the Republicans are—they're going to pull the uh, rug out from under Biden. They've—they've they've already done it. Mm. You uh, consistently, through your works, particularly the Robichaux books, talk about these guys that rise up, uh, Huey Long, like these these demagogues and. Uh, we certainly are seeing this, aren't we? Well, we're we're in it. Uh, we, I never I never saw it coming. The, the fascist, uh, a really live fascist, the real deal, and every every symptom of the uh, event, this arisal, uh, arriving of a. A figure like something that's really dark out of the unconscious. It's all there. Because if you ask any people who support this man, why are they doing it? They deny knowing over and over again. They say, I just, I just believe in him. What, what about all these lies or whatever? No, no, I, no God wants him to be. I mean, they, they say this on television, this blank look in their faces. I've yet to see one of them, anybody, who actually will get on television and say why he or she is voting for this man. Mm-hmm. That's it. They, they, they perhaps criticize uh, the other party. or Anyway, I, 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 I think there's a reason, but it's one that they will not admit to, and it's because... They want a dictator, and they want to do some bad stuff to people they don't like. Mm-hmm. I, was... I, I know for I don't know anything else. Uh-huh. It has to do, of course, a lot with finance, but but it goes deeper than that. It's it's been uh, hooked at the waist with religion, and they've uh, they've pirated Christianity. Well, I think of you as someone who actually has faith, and I, I just heard a speech this week uh, that this unnamed gentleman was giving in Iowa before the caucuses, and he stated in the speech, we need to pray for God. And I thought, what an interesting slip of the tongue. Yeah, uh, well, they they make slips of the tongue. <laughs> I, I didn't quite get it to, to whom— was this fellow talking? Uh, a group of people in Iowa. He was addressing the caucus people. Oh, I see. Yeah, uh-huh. and, he, and he was going on and on about his 
his evangelical bona fides as I they see. supposedly exist. And he was talking about we need to pray for God. <laughs> and I'm sure some oh, of the, pray for oh geez. Yeah, we oh, need to pray yeah. for God. I thought, well, what an odd thing to say. Uh, It's sort of a misunderstanding of what God means, I guess. Well, that's it. It's uh, that's it, and it's frightening. And people are, you know, it's going through what it's. It's a a, uh, oh, they just seem to be benighted, and it's self-inflicted. These are people who, years ago, we would associate as old kind of, you know, uh, farmers and uh, family people and and decent folk, and uh, and something has happened, and I I I still I I can't really explain it. Mm -hmm. I just uh, I cannot. I. uh, that uh, this man is a uh, oh going to do enormous injury to them, and and he he has a, a talent for using people. He knows what is worst in people, and he uh, uses them and then throws them away. But others replace that victim. Uh, again and again and again. There's always one to fill the place of the other one. Mm. And uh, um, I, I think maybe, uh, well, anyway, I think less said about this guy is just, uh, I don't know. I Gotcha. Uh, we'll move on. <laughs> yeah, I, I I didn't mean to. That's okay. My my get don't want you know in interviews, uh, Vic. They don't want the subject to come up. Right. You, you've got guts because uh, I I know people have interviewed me and who have you know they've, they get threats and I don't pay any price, but they do. Oh, you know, well, I'm not worried about that. And I'm. Really not worried about that. Uh, We taped the show in advance, and when I talked to Jim a few days ago, I was not aware of some really big news, and I was just coming in to uh, finish up the program today, and I was informed that uh, Jim has been nominated for an Edgar Award for his novel that came out last summer. We had him on for it, Flags on the Bayou, and uh, he's one of six nominees for the Edgar Award for a Best Crime Novel. And that is a very prestigious award. Uh, Jim has won them before. And one of the other nominees is someone else who has appeared on the program for that specific book last year, and that was uh, S.A. Cosby. So uh, it's really nice to get that kind of recognition from uh, your peers. And the Edgar Award is named after the guy who Some people believe wrote the first detective novel, Edgar Allan Poe. And uh, if you win, you get a little statuette of Edgar Allan Poe. And uh, Jim, I'm sure, is thrilled. And I wished I'd known when we recorded this interview for his story collection, Harbor Lights, that uh, he was going to be nominated. But, of course, I didn't. So I'm inserting this into our program just so you know that uh, 
he's gotten a big thrill this week being nominated for an Edgar and well-deserved, a, a massive body of work. Jim is in his late 80s now and more productive than ever. He's got another book coming out in June, another Dave Robichaux book, but this one is simply called Cleet, and it's going to be all about Cleet Purcell, the uh, beloved sidekick of Dave Robichaux. We'll continue with my interview with James Lee Burke for Harbor Lights right after this. My guest is James Lee Burke. His new story collection is Harbor Lights. You're listening to 91.3 WYSO, connecting our community through news, music, and storytelling on the air and online. Jim, uh, you have a lot of themes consistently in, in your books and your stories. And in that first story, Harbor Lights, uh, one of the themes I picked up on was environmental devastation. Uh, this uh, fellow works for the oil companies. And I know you observed in Louisiana what happened when the oil companies um, went in and, and what they did to the environment there. I know this is a very powerful uh, subject for you. Well, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a long story. In Louisiana, you see that the haves and the have-nots, but the have-nots were in huge proportion uh, the, to the rich. There's a hand full of people that this was years ago, and people uh, were paid 20 cents an hour. And our, our, at, even during, I think, the mid-century, it's about 40 cents. It was. When I went to college, it was 40 cents an hour there. And then when the oil business came there, it was like paradise. You know, a fairly decent wage was available, you see. Mm -hmm. But something came with it. And, of course, it, they didn't, because oil companies didn't do this uh, deliberately, but it occurred. And, of course, they have been pretty defensive about it. But you can't put petroleum chemicals into the environment, into what is a living marsh, into the soil and to the, the roots of the trees. It's like pouring acid into your breakfast food. Mm-hmm. And but uh, th th this isn't my point of view. Just one of the old uh, politicians in Louisiana said, and he's a very powerful man. Uh, he said we should put the uh, what was the in, uh, uh, flag on the one of the oil company flags on the state capitol mm -hmm. because. <laughs> The oil company owns everything under the roof, mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's it. That's it. It's about oil. Look, it was T.E. Lawrence who said it. He said in 1915 the subject was oil, and it will be oil a hundred years from now. This was and Lawrence it, of it Arabia. Uh, correct. Yeah. Right now. Mm -hmm. Just right now. Yeah. Sure. It's always been the issue. Right now, um, what's going on there? And it's it's just horrible. It's there in the 
oh golly, the suffering of those people there. Oh man, I, mm. I, it's hard to watch. You know, look, I, I, I fear for our country. Mm-hmm. What has occurred? What I, I think Mr. Biden made a terrible mistake. He put himself in the sway of this awful man, and to how do you pronounce it? And Netan, Netu, Netanyahu. Yeah. Uh-huh. He is a bad guy. Mm-hmm. My guest is James Lee Burke. We're talking about Harbor Lights. Let's go back to this story, A Distant War, the one that has uh, Francis in it. And yeah. you introduce this character, and you mention her in the, sec- in the following story, too, and it's Verena. And am, am I allowed to say who she is? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I well, mean, you have all these people, people in the story that are clearly from different time zones. <laughs> Verena, yeah, Verena, wife of uh, uh, Jefferson Davis. <laughs> and, and she turns up living in an Airstream trailer. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good story, yeah, I think. I, I agree. I think it's a very good one. Yeah, and it's, she's a great character. And Verena Davis, the bio, uh, biographical one, is a was a great lady. You know, she was very disturbed by her role during the, her days in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. That's why you you brought her into the story because you think that she was a good person. Yes, I I, th- I think so. And <clears throat> the biographical, um, the living, uh, the historical Verena, you know, after the war between the states, went to. Uh, New York City and became a journalist. Oh, and she, uh, yeah, she sure did. And she, uh, she, um, she wrote essays for I forget which uh, newspaper, but it was one of the big ones. But uh, and she lost uh, her child. He fell from a balcony, uh-huh. and uh, it was, she, she lived with great, with great sorrow. But. And and she was bothered also with guilt about uh, having per- participated in the culture of uh, the South. I mean, the enslaved people. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I I thought she was a great character to have in the oh 1960s. That we, we as I say, that whole book is about what I think. Uh, is the 20th century, and mm-hmm. um, I, I was born in the first administration of uh, well Franklin Roosevelt, and it, it was a different country. And uh-huh. I was the, uh, I was born in the end of the first administration, but 1936. Uh-huh. But, but I remember this the country as it was when I was growing up, and it's not the same anymore. That's what's stunning to me. I see American legionnaires standing up, giving uh, standing ovations to to Trump. God, I, I can't understand it. This man who praises Mussolini, it's just sickening. This mm. is no excuse for it. Mm. That is no excuse for that. Well, Jim. Good God, these were. Uh, 
my cousin, and I wrote a book based on him, uh, Wayfair and Stranger, you know, my cousin. It's one of the Holland books, but that mm-hmm. uh, he was there uh, at, oh, uh, it was one, it's one of the places, uh, one of the extermination camps. Mm-hmm. And you know, funny thing, it's peculiar, Charles, Charles Williford uh-huh. was there, and Lester Hemingway, my fr- it was my uh, friend, my cousin, uh, who was there, uh, had uh, this, oh, uh, he had the Silver Star, and I think two Bronze Stars, and three uh, Purple Hearts, and you know, he really went through the grinder, my cousin, uh, upon whom I wrote this book, but he would not talk about the that place that he went to. Understandable. He, he couldn't handle it. He just would not talk yeah. about yeah. it. Well, my dad went into Nagasaki with the 2nd Marine Division really? right after the armistice, and, and he had to survey what was left of Nagasaki with the Marines, and he never talked about it, and I can understand why. Yeah. Yeah, the uh but I I say that the, the the things that they had to do to, to make the world free again were done because we got rid of people like Tojo and uh Hitler and mm-hmm. Mussolini and we had this man out here who is proud to, to be the associate of contemporary Hitlers. Uh-huh. And and the people in Iowa think that's just fine. Mm-hmm. What in God's name is wrong with them? That's yeah. not politics. That doesn't have anything to do with politics. That's a, that's a, a facade. It's something else, but I don't know what it is. That's, what, that's it. I finally said it. That's it. This has nothing to do with politics. Hmm. It has something to do with, like, people, you know, walking off a cliff, and I don't know why they want to do it. I think they're called lemmings, Jim. Yeah, lemmings. Lemmings. That's Mm -hmm. that's the term, isn't it? it? Most of these stories don't have that much humor in them, but I always see your underlying humor, Jim, and, and I want to go back to A Distant War again just for a moment because... Here we have Francis, and he's driving along with his son, and they're on a little day trip. Francis is a college professor, and they're they're going out there. They're having fun together, you know, dad and son, and they end up in this godforsaken place out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, he goes into this bar or, or nightclub or something, and there's a guy in there who turns out to be the mechanic who he needs to help fix his car. And this whole thing with this mechanic and what he does to the car that Francis is driving is just hilarious. Yeah, yeah. It seems like that happens in the worst places, too. You know? uh-huh. but, but this is it. This Again, of course, this is science fiction, that novella. There's two uh-huh. novellas in yeah. there. Yeah. This is one of them. But uh, that it has to do with racism, and that's what it, it's about. It is about racism, mm-hmm. and uh, it's 
part of our culture. It goes way back to the 1840s, the nativist movement. That has a lot to do with our problems today. You're listening to The Book Nook on WYSO, and um, I'm dropping in again with a a little bit uh, of information before we go into our break. Uh, We recorded this interview with James Lee Burke earlier in the week, so I'm uh, just in here kind of polishing it up a little bit. And uh, the thing I love about James Lee Burke is he tells you exactly what he thinks. He talks about racism. He talks about political stuff going on in our country, the environment. He talks about stuff that matters to him. He talks about spirituality. And uh, coming up in this final segment, I've interviewed Jim a couple of dozen times. And he's got a story he's going to tell in this final segment that I had never heard before. And it's an amazing story. And he's one of the great storytellers. When he tells you a story from his personal life, that is an enormous treat. And we're going to bring you that story coming up in this final segment with James Lee Burke as he looks back at an amazing incident when his life was preserved by a psychic revelation. That's coming up on the book nook right after this. I've been joined by James Lee Burke. We're talking about his short story collection, Harbor Lights, which just came out. He's on the phone with us in Montana. Talking to us long distance, Jim. Well, um, I, I know that. And by the way, that book that I couldn't remember that I wrote uh-huh. coming out is Don't Forget Me, Little Bessie. Uh-huh. Don't Forget Me, Little Bessie, All right. author of the book, of course, <laughs> on an interview, forgets the title. Yeah, that's okay. Not good. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so we were going to talk a little bit about Strange Cargo, this yeah. final story, this long story in your collection. Yeah. And in this one, once again, it's about race. Yeah. And and kind of a nasty sheriff, or is he? Is he bad? Is he a bad guy or not? I mean, we can't tell with some of these characters. This guy seems like a bad guy, but maybe not. Well, that's for the reader to judge uh-huh. and but you make a very good point that we we are not governed by the people we elect we reach out them for them uh, we in effect are using the democratic process little d uh, delta we want to find people who will mirror us and then we pretend that actually we have nothing to do with all the damage they do to other people or to minorities but that's how it works and machiavelli uh, understood that that it's always the uh the man with the iron fist should wear a felt glove on it. That's how it works. Mm -hmm. In this story, he's someone we've met in in your previous books. Uh, He's he's haunted. He he has left Montana and he's down in Louisiana and 
I, I don't like to read too much into your uh, novels or, or your stories about about you because I know this is fiction, but he's pondering life. He's pondering uh, existence, and uh, this is very powerful. He, he says, death is not a pleasant subject, but I'll tell you what I have learned about Mr. Death, and then he tells us. Well, uh, it, it is not a pleasant subject, and uh, it's one that, uh, oh, eventually we all have to deal with, and uh, it doesn't change uh, its oh, cloak, mm. and it, uh, it's, I, I don't know, I, I, I never acquired much wisdom, and, and I don't know that any of us does. Um, I don't want want to spread my lack of wisdom, (laughs) (laughs) but but smudge smudge up everybody else. Uh Uh, I uh, I don't know. I I think that what probably is our oh oh I would I would say that. Ultimately, we haven't really uh, accepted the fact that maybe that <clears throat> there are mysteries that are supposed to be mysteries because the mystery itself indicates a reality there, and that uh, and it has to do with maybe. Uh, uh, this is what I, I think. This is what I, I think and I feel that uh, my father was far more intelligent about these things than I. And uh, he, he's the character, really, we meet in the first story in the the book. Mm-hmm. Um, that I mean, I don't mean that that's per se. Uh, he's a little bit like your character. dad. He's, yeah. The, the way he thinks. And he felt that uh, time is not sequential. He believed that all time happens simultaneously, like a dream in the mind of God. And he felt that uh, past and present and uh things are not to be worried about and that we're already in eternity and we don't see it. Uh, We keep thinking of everything as something that we can plan and that's a big mistake. Uh (laughs) Planning doesn't work very well. (laughs) But that in effect that uh, we it's uh, we we live in a huge pasture that has no fences, and we already are inside eternity, and we see each other again. And I've had one uh, mystical, uh, maybe two mystical experiences in my life, and I cannot explain them. I uh, cannot. I I, uh, I tried to. F- Every way I could to say this is just a, 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 oh, uh, it's a phenomenon or 
something out or anyway it had to do with three people who died in my family one of whom was my cousin uh weldon this the man who with the silver star who helped liberate one of those nazi extermination uh, camps but the three of them uh, brought a message to me through my daughter pamela you know, my pamela you know died three and a half years ago and I was it's a great loss but she was a psychic uh, no question about it and she called me up hysterically and she said that three men while she was in the early hours of the day and there were the three there they had their names their first names but they were boyhood names and these were people she she never knew. She she knew nothing about them. And she gave me the knees. I almost felt that names. She gave me the names, and she uh, she and they said things that only I could know. They told her to do that. And uh, I was standing up when she was telling the phone. My my knees buckled. I had to sit down. And they had a message that I was going to encounter a truck that was carrying what looked like pipe, huge pieces of pipe that were boomed down with a chain, but they were not pipe. That was not what it was, but they didn't know what it was, but it looked like pipe. And so I, I told Pamela, I said, you know, I, you, 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 you saw into someplace else. You saw through the veil, Pamela. There's just no to this. That's 20 years ago. This happened. I still every I know everything about what occurred in that conversation. Anyway, it was two years later. We were coming across the border in Canada, Pearl and I, and it was on a uh, we were on a mountainous peak. Uh, and starting downhill, no uphill, and I looked for looked into the shadows, and I said, "Good heavens!" There was, I said, uh, "There's a, a truck hauling pipe, pipe," and then I realized it wasn't. He was carrying lodge pole pine, and it was bouncing underneath uh, the boomer. And one of those big, long logs slipped right in front of us. I swerved. It missed the, it missed the front of my car about 18 inches. And I was going about 55 miles an hour. That's what happened. So, so, so anyway, pa Pamela psychically saw this truck. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Two years later. Wow. Yeah, and two years later it happened. That's really something. Everything she described, she said it would look like uh, those. The three men told her, and uh, and and one of the men, when he introduced himself, he called himself Danny, and she said Daniel, and she he said no no no, he said tell Jimmy. He said Danny, he, that this is Danny, and he'll know who that is. 
and that was Danny Benbow, who was a lawyer there in Houston, had died. And uh, but he that was his boyhood name, and Buddy was Weldon. Weldon was the hero, but she used the word Buddy. But Buddy, that was his boyhood no name. But he was the only one in the family I call that. Oh, wow! But and then his father. Uh, and anyway, I didn't want to, to go on and on. But wow. uh, I and I had a, a uh, I had a a psychic moment myself. We anyway. I don't want to bother everybody with this. I don't think you're bothering anybody, Jim. <laughs> okay. But I, 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 we lost a, a boy uh, many, many years ago, and I saw him. I, I saw him. Mm-hmm. There's, no, there's no, I saw him. Oh, and that's, yeah. Well, Jim, in, oh, this, uh, yeah. in this last story, the novella length, Strange Cargo, you're we are so cruel to each other, and we are so cruel to animals. And and your love for animals in this story really comes through because your protagonist he takes all these animals in, and the sheriff doesn't approve of this. Uh, he, he's he's sheltering all these abandoned animals, and it's just it's it's really powerful to read. Well, I I have that subject, yeah, in many of my books, I. I think that our uh, attitude toward the animal world and the and the fish and the, the birds, uh, our, we have done an enormous amounts of uh, cruelty to them, and uh, we are destroying, of course, with the earth, the uh, animals that live on it. Mm-hmm. Our cavalier attitude toward it is just uh and i think we're undoing ourselves i look at most of the plagues the the covid it starts with animals they're fighting back Mm. that's what i believe well i 14th century i I smiled in in one of your stories i don't remember which one i think it might have been this last one you mentioned a three-legged raccoon and and yeah. I and I know this is an homage to tripod and uh, tri- yeah. tripod is in a number of the Robo Show books. And, and was there really a tripod in your life? Well, yeah. The name the name came from somewhere else. There was a, a three legged dog at the University of Missouri who was uh, all the fraternities uh, fed him and took care of him, and he was he was a uh, over there for years, his name was Tripod, but there are many um, three-legged uh, raccoons in Louisiana. Any place there are raccoons, and it's again cruelty at work. That raccoon will chew off its leg if it's caught in a, a steel trap, and that's how the the leg was lost. I see. That's always been the case. It's a horrible thing. This trapping animals with oh jeez yeah uh, the governor oh I don't want to get in okay let's not that's not a good subject yeah. sorry yeah. I, I still love it when you mention tripod and, and before I let you go when I first got you on the phone before we started recording the interview you started talking about Charles Williford and I'm wondering what what you were going to tell me oh uh, 
uh, golly. Uh, it was about I that article I wrote? You, I, I, had, uh, I knew, knew you uh, wrote an essay about Charles and his work, and I wondered if you ever uh, had written any more about him. or No, but I, yeah. I know that you knew him, and uh, I love his work. He, he's, he's an amazing writer, and, and those memoirs of his are just phenomenal. It was a deathbed book. Was it? Uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, and uh, it was. Uh, oh, I I thought it, it, all of his career was actually aimed at that uh, writing that book because some of them were, you know, as you said, I think in your essay that he, uh, uh, I think evolved, you know, because he, uh, he was. You know, only as 16, I think, when he joined the army in 1935, uh-huh. and so he was he self-educated, and, um, but you know he, he was really a good guy, <laughs> and he was full of fun. He was always full of fun. <laughs> well, I was amazed when that was published online to immediately get an email from Betsy Williford, and, and she was correcting some error that I had in the essay. She, really? Well, it, yeah. She, she, uh, I think it was about his the way he died, what, what killed him. I think she corrected me. Uh-huh. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, he was only, was it 59 or 69? Mm-hmm. I don't remember. And he had just finally broken through and, and was really getting oh. popular as a writer. Yeah, and uh, he, that's right, some recognition. Oh, yeah, Random House started publishing him. And then the film that was made, uh, oh, uh, golly, gee whiz. Uh, Miami Alec Blues? Baldwin. Yeah, uh-huh. that's it, Miami Blues. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that um, things, good things were happening for him. Lester Hemingway was, oh, you know, friend of ours and there were a whole bunch of uh, writers at World War II fellows living in Miami who's the fellow oh golly he's he lived his character lives on a I think a houseboat in Miami Bay uh anyway there were a whole bunch of guys like that you know who played cards all the time and so mm-hmm. Lester used to have all of his friends uh, to his island uh, he lived on an island in Miami and, and he lived in a island on an island in Bimini you know but these it was just really interesting to see that generation uh vibrant and and writing good books and uh and always intelligent and it's it's a very different time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I see people walking around now with iPhones, <laughs> uh, yeah, tapped tacked on their side of the heads. You know, gee whiz, yes. you, what what are we doing to ourselves? Yeah, <laughs> you have a comment about that in one of your stories, actually, yeah. about the yes. yeah, well. <laughs> 
<laughs> and you're not a cell phone guy, though, are you, Jim? Uh, no, I am not. I am proud to be uh, with Fred Flintstone, <laughs> anti-invention of the wheel. <laughs> I, I don't like progress. Barney, what's his name? Barney Rubble told me that just the other day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if progress is the right word for it, but uh, yeah. Well, well Jim— well, Okay. It, it's always so great to talk to you, and I hope we can talk again when, when Cleet comes out in June, and um, I, I hope that I can get on your schedule again. Well, th- th- oh, any time. Look, I apologize. I got up kind of early this morning, and <clears throat> excuse me. So uh, anyway, I hope I didn't leave you there for about six months trying to <laughs> get the static out of things. You're fine, Jim. You're always well, a pleasure. you're a gentleman. All the, you are always a gentleman. My guest has been James Lee Burke, and his new collection is Harbor Lights. And you said this is your third story collection? Jesus Out to Sea right, was right. one collection. Okay. And The Convict was a collection. The that Convict. My, yeah, gotcha. gotcha. LSU book. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, Jim, uh, always a pleasure. I hope I talk to you again um, real soon about Cleet, because that is the book I've been waiting for ever since I discovered Dave Robichaud. I've been wanting to read about Cleet and, and really get into Cleet, and I know that that's going to be an absolute treat to read. Well, I surely appreciate it. Do, do you have a copy? Not yet, Jim, but I will ask for one. Do they yeah. have advanced copies of it yet? Okay, yeah. I'll ask. I'll ask somebody over at your publisher if I can get one. Yeah, I think it, it wasn't long ago. Uh, just, they, they just came out, but I'd really like for you to have one. So. I, I'll track one down, Jim. Well, okay. l- let me sign off the program. You stay on the line, Jim. My oh. guest has been James Lee Burke, and um, for the book nook, I'm Vic McCunis. <laughs>